This morning, we're going to ask a simple question. Do you want to get well? Many of us have ailment, whatever. This was a question asked to an individual. Kind of a strange question. Do you want to get well? As we look at our world today, we realize that many people carry incredible burdens. Hearts are broken from disappointments and betrayal. We know that there's stress, there's loneliness and anxiety, and they seem like they're flowing rampant throughout our society. There's addiction to alcohol and drugs, reaching an all-time high, vaping. We also know that there's individuals who take drugs. I mean, I, I can't even picture why you would take drugs, but then if you are, why there are individuals purposely to just make money, I guess, if anything else, to poison to the point that many people, you know, die daily just from bad drugs. We know something is desperately wrong. And the term that comes to mind that I try to describe is disease. Not disease like in sickness, but the word ease with dis as a preface in front of it. The dis-ease meaning without ease, without comfort, without peace, without peace mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. Even though there are people who are supposed to have their act together, they appear to be diseased. We know that we're not perfect. In some ways, we're all diseased. And some are, some people here, probably hearing this, have something to bring about healing the disease that they have in their lives. We know that if it describes you, I know it describes me, I have good news for you. But I also have some bad news too. The good news is that on many occasions in his earthly ministry, Jesus sought out the brokenhearted, the broken, the messed up, the diseased men and women, and he healed them. But the bad news, maybe, is that Jesus did not always do it the way that people expected him to do it, including this healing. Sometimes Jesus' healing was painful because it required people to face both truth about themselves and also about the people that they just didn't like to face. This morning, we're going to look at one of those examples of healing that he had. And I think that the lessons that we learn from it can be helpful to us today. Our text this morning is John chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first 14 verses of John chapter 5. It talks about Jesus healing a man who had been an invalid for a long time. And as we look at it, I would like us to consider some questions that arise. If I look at verses 2 and 3 of our text, it says, Now they're in Jerusalem by the sheep gate of pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Sorry, I didn't say that correctly, but you know which 
we're saying here. And these, there was a great multitude of sick people. They were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed, and they were waiting for the moving of the water. The first question I ask, why are these people here? And what are they hoping to find at this pool? Verses 5 and 6 tell us, Now a certain man who was there had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Our second question. Why would Jesus ask him that? I think it seems like a strange question to an invalid. Do you want to be made well? But it gets even stranger because the sick man answered Jesus with this in verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Do you notice that? Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And the man doesn't answer the question, does he? Instead, he complains about having no one to help him into the water. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus ignored the complaint from this individual. Instead, Jesus said to him in verses 8 and 9, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. 38 years of helplessness, gone, just like that. And after only eight words from Jesus' mouth. But four of those words, pick up your mat, are puzzling. I mean... If one other extra mat was left laying on the porch among all these sick people, do you think it would be that important? Why did Jesus tell him to pick up his mat? That's question number three. Let's continue. Verses 9 and 10 tell us, The Jews therefore said to him, Who has cured you? It is the Sabbath. It is unlawful for you to carry your bed. What does he answer? Verse 11, he answers them. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. They have to be shaking their heads. One, I think it would be shocking that this day, they have to know this guy. 38 years, he's no invalid. He's probably waiting at this pool for all that time. We know for a long period of time because he's complaining it. He's never getting in the pool quick enough when it stirs up. And then, who made you well? I don't know. Just some guy that said, pick up your mat. And I did. That's because, in their opinion, think about that. They're not thankful that this man was cured. In their mind, carrying a mat was work that God had commanded no work on the Sabbath. He replies to them. The man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow? Verse 13. 
But the man who was healed did not know it was for Jesus had withdrawn from him and went into the multitude being in that place. Now, that's kind of odd too, isn't it? The man who was healed had no idea who had done it. He didn't even know Jesus' name. But Jesus knew him, didn't he? Jesus knew from the hundreds of men and women in need of healing, Jesus had singled this one individual out. Question four, why? Why, what was so special about this man? I'd like you to listen to verse 14. Later, Jesus found him in at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Oh, did Jesus know him well enough to seek him out a second time and also to give him a stern warning? It's almost like there's some unfinished business that Jesus needs to take care of in this miracle of healing of this individual. So question five, why did Jesus deliver such a warning to this man? We're going to have answers, hopefully, to these questions I'm asking you. Okay, let's summarize what we know. There are a lot of sick people lying on five covered walkways that overlook a pool, and we want to know why they are there. Jesus comes to just one man, and we want to know why this man and ask him what seems to be a ridiculous question. Do you want to get well? And we want to know why Jesus asked that question. Then after a strange dialogue in which the man complains and Jesus ignores the complaint, the man is healed. Jesus tells him to get up and walk, to take his bed with him. We want to know why. Finally, after the fuss from the religious authorities dies down, Jesus finds this one individual and delivers a warning. And we want to know why Jesus did that. By the way, just a tip here on studying the Bible. When you read a passage and things strike you as being a little odd, when things cause questions to arise inside you, it's good to ask these kinds of questions. More often than not, the really important lessons are found in those answers. That we would ask ourselves questions, why? And then try to study God's word to see why for answers. Lessons to learn. I believe that that's true in this case, that there are lessons to learn about healing and wellness that come from God. So let's look back through these questions and see what the answers teach us. Let's start with the last question first. What's the significance of Jesus seeking out that man after the healing and warning him? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. By the way, do you realize that in all the miracles of healing that Jesus did, I believe that this is the only one where Jesus warns the one who was healed to stop sinning. I believe that's the case. I think there's only one answer that makes sense. And it helps us to understand, maybe, what this man's trouble was all along. He was involved with some sin that had at least a part in causing him helplessness for 38 years. We don't know what kind of sin it was. 
But the lessons we need to learn are clear. And I want to state right here that I am not saying that all infirmities and so on were caused by sin. A counterexample of that would be John 9 and 3. If you would read that sometime on your own in John 9 and 3. Or even there was other times when people were blind. Like if a young man was blind, Jesus said he is not blind because of his parents. You know, some people thought he was blind because of the sin of his parents and so on. But for some reason, there's a connection here. We don't know what the sin is, but there is a connection between this man's infirmity and his sin. It's a lesson that Jesus is bringing out to us. Lesson one, sin can cause much of our dis-ease. And we know this is true as Christians. Sin can cause mental, emotional, and even physical uneasiness with us. Now, obviously, there are other reasons for actual disease that range anywhere from germs to genetics. But sometimes this unease disease is caused by sin. In fact, there are areas of medical science that has been developed in the past 40 years that seems to support this idea. It's called psychoneuroimmunology, or they call it PNI for short. The basic idea is that the ways people think, the way they feel and behave can have profound effects on their body, including its ability to fight disease. More stress, more possibility of immunity problems, and so on. And the Bible states this principle in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be not, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, if we sow to please our sinful nature, or the one who thinks they can ignore God about what is right and what is wrong, from that nature will reap destruction possible injury, hurt, damage, heartache, sorrow, or possibly even death. The one who sees or sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And that includes peace, love, joy, good things that keep us whole. So let me ask, are you doing what you know in your heart you should, should not be doing? Or could there be a source of the disease in this life of yours. So we need to look and do a self-examination of some of the cause of our heartache and problems in our lives. And could they be related to sin? I can't answer this question for you, but we know that God can. As we stand before him, we look at what we have in our lives. We think about God knows what's going on. If we're struggling, It would be worth asking God if your sin is the cause of disease in your life, just as it was for this man who was lying here at the pool. And that brings us to another question that we brought up earlier. Why are all these people here at this pool? Very simply, in that day, people believed that on special occasion, an angel would come and stir the water. And if you were the first ones in the pool, After that happened, you would be healed. The Bible scholars describe the scene this way. 
suddenly the waters begin to bubble and chaos breaks out. Every ailing person that is there is in competition with the rest of the multitude, hoping to be the ones that got in and got healed. Could you imagine the pushing, shoving, and tripping that causes this this, uh, whole idea causes? What a pathetic sight to see people crawling, hopping, rolling. Remember, most of these people are lame, trying to get into the water's edge. What chaos that would be. And even if one person was healed, we know that it would not be the most disabled person. Because if they were that disabled, they would most likely not be the ones getting into the water ahead of everybody else. (coughs) And that's the situation we find this man in. It sounds like time and time again, whenever the water stirred, someone else got into the water ahead of him. Can you see this hopelessness? First of all, his problem was probably a personally inward problem. Second, his solution for healing didn't really work. Third, he would never be the first one into the water anyway. That's lesson number two. Our solutions for healing, our solutions for healing don't work. In one sense, a lot of us do exactly what he is doing. Not only do we overlook the possibility that sin might be the cause, we try to figure out our own system of trying to get relief. For instance, at some point in many marriages, couples begin to sense a disease in their relationship. So to find relief, some people have never felt good about who they are, So they try to build up a system to prop themselves up. They work like crazy to make themselves supposedly successful. Or they pursue making money passionately, only to discover, as the Bible says, that that kind of love is the root of all sorts of evil. (coughs) Do you see the point? Our solutions for healing often turn out to be more pathetic than the disease itself. And that was certainly true of this man. That's why I'm sure Jesus ignored his complaint. Jesus didn't say, don't worry, I will help you get into the pool first next time when the water is stirred up. Jesus could have said, I'll stir the water and put you into it. But he didn't. He didn't say that because Jesus is interested in endorsing our faulty solutions. Remember, this was never proven to be true. This is a faulty solution. Jesus himself is going to be the actual cure that this man needs. He'd rather shoot straight at us, directly to our hearts. If you love me, Keep my commandments. He was asked, what are the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, being, self. That pretty well covers it. Love God more than anything, which is back to other things that Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
And then love your neighbor as yourself was, of course, the second that Jesus answered. He'd rather shoot straight at us like he did with this man. Look, do you want to lie here for the rest of your life? Or do you want to get well? If you want to get well, pick up your mat and walk, which is the other title of this sermon. Basically, that is what I entitle it for us. Pick up your mat. We have, we have been laying around that pool too long waiting for things to happen. Jesus has given us all of these examples. As he spoke to this man, he could be speaking to us. We are laying there possibly diseased, feeling things are diseased in our life that we want to get rid of. Pick up our mat and walk. And that's lesson three. Only Christ has the cure for the disease of sin. What we need to cure the mentally, the emotional, and sometimes physical symptoms that drag so many of us down is forgiveness of sin. We need to ask for forgiveness of sin and freedom from its power that's offered in Christ. How do we get that? We do exactly what this man at the pool did. We take Jesus at his word. What did he say? Get up. Pick up your man and walk. And that's what we need to do. We need to put our faith in him. Today, we can take all of our sin, past, present, and future, and give it to Jesus. We can turn it all over. When you talk about the initial steps of becoming a Christian, people talk about we need to, of course, hear God's word. We know that we hear. We need to believe that it's God's word. And then the next thing is repent. We need to realize there's something wrong and that we repent of that. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I believe that you died for me to pay for my sin. I'm totally dependent upon you. There is no other solution to my problem than through what Jesus offers. Come unto me, all the that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Lesson four, we must quit what we have been doing wrong. That is why Jesus was implying when he told his man, pick up your mat. <laughs> Remember, he didn't say, get up and walk, just that. He said, get up, start walking, take your mat with you. In other words, burn your bridges. Don't even think of going back. Get up and walk, take your mat with you because you're not coming back. In those words, he's saying something very important to people who need to be healed of sin. Give up your sin. Pour out the things that tempt you. Get rid of those things. Say no and get rid of the so-called friends that we might have that lure us into evil. That lesson is important, and here's why. Some have turned to Christ as their only hope for forgiveness, and their hearts were lifted for a time. But then they never really left that old life. In effect, they just added Jesus as one of their many options for dealing with their disease. They admit that he is the best option, but they still return to the old ways. They take their mat and go back to that poolside when convenient. 
And once again, their hearts are filled with hopelessness, just like they were before Christ healed them. That's the final lesson in this story, that disease can return. That's why Jesus went to the temple and went to seek out this man. Look, you have been healed. Quit your sinning or your condition could be worse or will be worse than it was before. Jesus once explained it this way in Matthew 12, verses 43, 44, and 45. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty. It has been swept and it has been cleaned out. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than they were before. Simply stated, there are times that we need to replace sin with religion. Stop doing sin, but pray more. Study more. Because once you stop doing sin, you've created an empty space in your life. Maybe a bad habit you're trying to get rid of. Replace it with a good habit. Or as Jesus was saying, you might have, you need to clean that out, and then you might have worse habits showing up. If you don't forget and forsake our sin, and allow ourselves to be filled with God's spirit, we will be empty and a prime target for evil to sink its teeth with even a greater force. I think that this is what has happened to some people. They were set free from sin's power and dominion when they first came to Christ. But they've allowed themselves to get a little too cozy with it, and they're now overwhelmed once again. Now let's bring this to a close. We've answered all the questions that we raised earlier, except for one. Why did Jesus choose this particular individual instead of someone else? There's no answer for that one. He just did. And he offers that same invitation to each one of us today. Why did Jesus die for all? Why did he die for each and every one of us? You and me personally. He died on the cross. He knows our future. He died to give us a chance. Do we want to be well? Do we want to have power to overcome the sin in our life? Do we want to find the peace and joy that passeth all understanding that Jesus answers and offers to us today? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Do we want that peace and joy? We have to choose, just like this guy at the pole had to choose. Second Chronicles, I have just three passages. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 tells us, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Acts 3.19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And Mark 16, 16 tells us that whosoever believeth and is baptized will be saved, but whosoever does not believe will be condemned. This morning, 
Will you choose to get up, pick up your mat, and walk? The lesson is yours as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.